0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'm Kim Skarubsky. And today on the podcast is Dr. Elizabeth Ellenis.
1: Hi, Libby. Hi, Kimberly. Nice to uh nice to be here.
0: Well, Dr. Libby Ellenis joins us today thanks to Dr. Jennifer Apps. And you may remember listening to a recent podcast episode with Jennifer on mental load. Jennifer is the assistant provost at the Medical College of Wisconsin. And just like everybody could do. She did a great job of sponsoring another guest. So if you want to be in the podcast, remember, this isn't an international podcast. Just recommend people. And that's why we're looking at Dr. Elizabeth Libby Ellenis. Dr. Ellenis is the Associate Dean for Women's Leadership, the founding director of Awesome, and a professor of anesthesiology. Again, welcome, Libby. We're so glad you're here. I can't wait to learn from you. Jennifer said You're the one we want to talk to, thought leader in women and women's leadership. And so can you start off by telling us what is AWESOME and how did AWESOME come to be?
1: Thank you so much, Kim. Um, AWESOME is the Center for the Advancement of Women in Science and Medicine, AWSM, which we pronounce AWESOME. And so um, that center came about... Kind of a, kind of a long journey, right? So, um, I started at the Medical College of Wisconsin at the turn of the century in 2000, um, and held several, several roles in anesthesiology. And somewhere um somewhere in the mid teens became the director of the Women's Faculty Council, now the Council for Women's Advocacy at the Medical College of Wisconsin. And through that work started to do research in social sciences, so outside of anesthesiology, work with women leaders, and uh, especially motivation towards promotion and leadership. And then through that work got um, got associated with faculty affairs. Uh, went to ELAM, Executive Leadership in Academic Medicine, uh, and then my ELAM project was to start a Center for Women's Leadership, which eventually became uh, the Center for the Advancement of Women in Science in Science and Medicine. So um, I am thrilled to have my dream job, mm-hmm. um, which I credit to lots of different things, both our Dean, um, Joe Kirshner, and to the ELAM, ELAM uh, Fellowship.
0: This is another great example of how you just described a career starting up as an anesthesiologist. I'm betting you never envisioned when you were finishing up all your training and got your first faculty appointment that someday I'm going to be a dean for women. But it just Mm -hmm. goes to show you that when you have when your your heart calls you some somewhere. And I mean, maybe you could tell us a little bit about, about how the interest in women's motivation and promotions Popped in your head one day, but it's a great example of how when these just ideas pop, and if you and if we just kind of pause and take a moment to, you know, be curious, I wonder why I keep thinking about this or why this interests me. And then how that developed into an opportunity and probably talking to people and getting talking to your mentors or your peer mentors. And that led you to Elam and that led you to this, you know, awesome program. and, And here you are. So, all started when? When can you remember, Libby, The time when you were like, "I want to start doing social research on what motivates women to get promoted." How did that come up?
1: I think. Uh, I think so. You know, I have always been interested in women why women do things why people think things about women I mean from back things I can think about in high school where you know my teachers would suggest that I wasn't going to continue to excel even in that like even in that realm they were wrong you know and then you know building on all of those sorts of things through my career in anesthesiology was um Exclusively or nearly exclusively on labor and delivery, so I've been really interested in um, empowering women through uh, through the birth process. Women students, women fellows, and watching some of the things that women fellows would choose to do or choose not to do um, as they were wrestling with their um, with their careers and career choices, and then getting involved with the women's faculty with the women's faculty council and being really interested um, again in why really women make the choices that they do. And having a chance collaboration uh, with some folks from the University of Wisconsin in Milwaukee who came and said, is anyone interested um, in doing some research in medicine that we've been doing in enge- engineering? And that was with Dr. Najafuad uh, from the from the UW-Milwaukee. And I was like, yes. I do, you know, and so that started a collaboration that started this social science research vent, And I ended up getting a master's from their program in statistics and measurement and, you know, snowball and here we are, right? You know, so much uh, so much later. So uh, sometimes um, I certainly don't advocate saying yes to everything, but sometimes saying yes to the right thing will, you know, turn your career um, in a direction that turns out to be beneficial, uh, beneficial for you.
0: I love that chance collaboration, but what what is that saying that um, fortune favors the prepared? Is that, is oh, it fortune the fortune favors the bold. Is the, the bold. fortune favors the bold? And I was just thinking that chance collaboration, as you described it so humbly, wouldn't have happened if you weren't on the women's faculty council. I mean, was the, your involvement in women's faculty council what led you to meeting these other folks? Correct. That is correct. So, how did you get on the Women's Faculty Council? I mean, did you, were you running around going, hey, is there a faculty council? Hey, is there a Women's Faculty Council? Or did you say we should start one? Or like, how did you get on that to that step?
1: So, it's still today you apply to be on the Women's Faculty Council. And really at that point, I was kind of an angry faculty member. You know, that was, (laughs) I was like, rare, you know, about various things, you know, um, uh, railing
0: against the system. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so I um I applied uh t- I applied to them and did eventually get on, not the first try, but did get eventually get on the Women's Faculty Council and then became chair of the council. And then the folks from UWM came to the council um and said you know, would you like to collaborate? And that's how we, that's how we ended up there. Um, through the council, I got involved in faculty affairs, through faculty affairs, I got involved with ELAM, through ELAM, I then did this. So it's, you know, it's a little bit of a lived in the house that Jack built kind of thing.
0: But That is such a great lesson. Thank you, Libby, for sharing this. And you said two really great things. I like talked about, you um, Things that we all struggle with. You said you were an angry faculty member, and you also said that you didn't get on the council, so you had a nope. failure. So anger and failure, as so anger and disappointment, did not thwart you. In fact, it inspired you and lit that fire. You didn't give up. So what I'm trying to give a lesson here that you've just you know shared with all of us is that you sometimes when we feel this disgruntled dissatisfaction, this anger and then why are things the way they are taking that into action and turning it into okay we can we can complain we can whine and moan and 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 protest and let's fix it so you turn that dissatisfaction into action and then you also weren't thwarted by them saying no sorry dr ellen s not this time around you could have been like well i tried why bother there's no point in trying to fix anything. I tried to be in the women's task force, uh, faculty council, and they said no. Eh. So two two opportunities of where you persevere. You 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 know, can you remember those times where you kind of like, I'm going to take my toys and go home. This is ridiculous. I'm going to go somewhere else. Nobody understands me. This is so backwards. I mean, those emotions that we all feel like all the time.
1: Yes, so that's that's certainly true. So um, so I have. I have one tattoo. Yes, I'm going to make a connection, right? So I have one tattoo. It is a woodpecker, right? So the woodpecker is my very favorite animal. The reason the woodpecker is my favorite animal is because um, it has a capacity with the way its tongue wraps around its brain that it can bang its head into the tree and into the wall repeatedly, Without um being without being damaged, so banging my head against banging my head against the wall repeatedly is uh is is a thing that is in my in my nature, right? You know, bang, 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 and just don't somebody do let life.
0: somebody do what Dr. Elinus wants because she's not going to stop all that racket. That noise, will right. hurt. she's not going to stop it somebody make that exactly. get her what she wants i love that not giving up never give up never surrender
1: yes bang head here
0: <laughs> bang head back. here i love that that's a great that's a great metaphor i i like that's i i like that very much my a friend of mine um got tigger because yeah bouncy bouncy flouncy pouncy fun 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 that always resilient bouncing up bounce up bounce up up. yeah I love it. I love it. All right. So you you go from this, this long-standing curious interest in women and why do people think the way they are? You decide to get on women's faculty council. You hook up with these UWM chance collaboration, getting more data, leads you to faculty affairs, leads you to ELAM. Now you're in awesome. Tell us more about your project that you developed through um. Elam, this you know the advancement of women in science and medicine, and what does it do?
1: The Center for the Advancement of Women in Science and Medicine, um, its goal is to help MCW become a destination for women. It's the goal is to cultivate an inclusive and vibrant culture that supports everybody, right, to grow and thrive to leadership in the health sciences, right. So, what do we mean when we say MCW will be a destination for women? Basically, it means that women are respected and affirmed. Uh, for their talents and ambitions and achievements and encouraged to pursue any pathway they want in academic medicine that supports personal and professional excellence. And so this is the these this is the goal right, of um of awesome as we um as we put it to
0: as we put it together. Wow. Wow respected affirmed encouraged in yep. any way that uh, that develops a personal and professional excellence. That right. is Talk about vibrant. I want to be in that place. That sounds really welcoming, supportive. Uh, We got you like all hands on deck. Everybody um, be you and we're going to be here for you. What is that? Can you, I, I want to know what that looks like operationally. And I would love it if you could weave in some stories about the different pathways and journeys that women in awesome have chosen for their to, you know, idealize or realize their personal and professional excellence. Can you think of different like case studies or examples of to plant some seeds in our listeners?
1: I would say that this is the goal. I would not say, right, that we have achieved this perfectly, you know, at MTM. So, well, we are.
0: Great aspirational goal.
1: (laughs) Right, right. So this is an aspirational goal. And this is where we're, this is where we're going. So with Awesome, we do this, we try to accomplish this goal in two ways. And so one of those is through our Women's Leadership Learning Collaborative. So we call that the WLLC. So that's one of the things that we do. And that may be uh, kind of a place where we can go where we talk about some stories. The other way is to work on a culture that can build through, um, can build this kind of place. Right. And that is with our I will, we will, MCW um, will goals. Um, so perhaps um, we could start with the WLLC, because that'll get us towards some of those stories that you're talking about. Um, okay. So the um, the Wesley Leadership Learning Collaborative. I'll be to be honest, right? The um, the when um, when Awesome started, so Awesome launched in 2018. And um, one of the first things that people ask me is, OK, well, what programs are you going to do? What will you do? Will you going to start a women's leadership program? What's your plan? What, do you, what will you do? And I'm like, no, I don't want to start a women's leadership program. They don't work. And so uh, because going back through this idea of fixing the women, it, women don't need fixing. right? So if you try to fix them and that's the goal of your women's leadership program, everybody needs Training, training's great, right? Everybody needs that, and everyone needs support and, and um, you know, to learn how to communicate better or learn about budgets or things like that. But fixing the women will not solve this problem. So, for a very long time, I resisted um, doing a women's leadership program of any kind. Um, but then I sort of realized two things. So, like, one, a lot of people see a women's leadership program as um, kind of a flagship for the institution, and they want that, and so it's something that is good, like public relations. So that's great, but I was only going to do it. Uh, awesome was only going to do it if we could elevate it beyond fixing the women. So the the goal of the program, and in fact, um, your institution, Barb Feibish's work around that does exactly this too, is to be able to um, build a community. Can you build a community that can work um, collaboratively to stand on each other's shoulders and be like an old girls' network, for lack of a better kind of uh, uh, phrase, right? For it, can you can you build on that? And can you really? Highlight these folks within the institution so that their leaders see how great they are and so that they then can move up within this because just giving people skills doesn't do much, right? It helps, but it doesn't do what we wanted to accomplish, which is um, not just mentorship and not just skill building, but sponsorship and then sponsorship. Uh, amongst ourselves and amongst the amongst the leadership. So the women's leadership learning collaborative works towards those things,
0: libby, this this is you're really making me think about when you just said, you know start off saying, you know the women's programs don't work, you know, or programs for underrepresented medicine faculty don't work because if they they don't work, if they rely or build on the assumption that there's something wrong with all y'all. Once we get you fixed, then you'll be successful. So and then but then you, you pivoted and you said, however, recognizing that these programs can be flagship programs used to recruit and retain faculty and certainly building community, highlighting work and sponsorship. That's where you made me think of in this industry, in academic medicine. Particularly, so not even, I was going to say in academia, no, because in academic medicine particularly, we don't have organic natural opportunities like in other industries of going out on the golf course or going out to happy hours. And I'm sure people are like, well, I go to happy hour. But what I'm thinking, and I'm, I'm in my late 50s, so I'm thinking of maybe old TV shows where after work, you know, the guys would go hit the golf course or during lunch hour, the guys... The guys would go play tennis and on those and go to happy hours or go to the bar at the end of the workday. In certain industries or certain cultures, there are opportunities to network and sponsor and, and politic and see in the water cooler talk. We don't have any of that. We don't barely have water coolers anymore since COVID. We don't have coffee rooms we don't even have at Hopkins I don't think we barely have a, a physician's lounge anymore so there are no real places for people to build community hence we have to like we have to create places and time and space for people to be on the virtual golf course to be on the virtual tennis court and that is in leadership programs so yes. I think Libby you've defined I mean this is this is the root of where so many, when we try to say, well, what are the outcomes of your leadership programs? Talk about the outcomes. What are you changing? We're all changing knowledge, attitude, skills, behaviors, conditions, status. Yeah, all these short-term, intermediate, long-term outcomes. Women and, and our co-ed programs also say they love best what they love best about it: networking. They love the component of being in a room with other people like them who share their stressors, anxieties, the burdens, who get get it. They get the experience. So like, oh. Ooh, exhale. I'm not the only one who fill in the blank. So as you've described this, Libby, you are, I think you're spot on. This is academic medicine's version of um like forced socializing or team building. We don't do those things anymore. This is this one what gets, gets that done.
1: Yeah, that's true. And I think um folks, especially after COVID, are very tired. Um, everybody is uh has a measure of has a measure of burnout wants to get home, you know, and so I think a lot of that socializing, uh, a lot of that socializing doesn't happen. And then on top of that, I think um, one of the One of the differences uh, since we have more women in academic medicine is there isn't that spouse often sitting at homes, you know, that allows for um, faculty, typically men, to go and do these things after um, after work. So, you know, even when like we find that if we offer those kinds of opportunities and after work thing, people people don't come. They don't um, they don't want that. So you have to have some, you have to have some, you have to have some structure. So um, our, uh, we do a lot of things virtually. Um, Our Women's Leadership Learning Collaborative though is in person um, and is, um, is, uh, we have to have a letter from their, um, from their sponsor saying that they will give them the time um, so that they can, um, so that they can attend. So that, that's been, that's been very, that's been very important um, for the collaboration piece as you're speaking of.
0: So what what happens at the LLC? So how what is the regularity? What is the duration of a session? What kinds of content and then those different like what stories do you hear from the participants?
1: All right. So um so we um we launched our pilot in February of 2020. And so you can imagine what then happened to what happened to our pilot. Right. So in March of 2020, there was uh, there was COVID. And so our pilot went um, actually two years uh, because folks were really looking for. Um, we're, we're looking for opportunities. Uh, we fell back during COVID when the virtual world to having a sort of one way um, kind of piece and saw that folks are really looking for collaboration. Um, we could also see that we weren't achieving, um, weren't achieving the goal of visibility, Uh, within, within their department. Um, so we are launching actually our first full cohort started in January of this, um, of this year. And so we're really, uh, looking forward to seeing how they're going to, uh, how they're going to work. We are focused a lot on, um, building work into people's why. And so why are you here? Why do you want to be here? Why do you want to lead and how could leadership be different uh, for you? Um, that comes from, that comes from two things. Um, one is the social science work that we've been talking about, about why women might want to, might want to lead. And so and we found within that that um women sometimes want to lead to be able to fix things right that are wrong. So rather than wanting to have control over others, they want to solve a problem or they want to help other folks. And sometimes then within those leadership positions, you're looking at. Um, well, you know, uh, the way I see this person, often a male running this job is not what I, you know, not what I want, not what I'm looking for. And so then I have, conversely, um, male chairs often, uh, maybe not often, but sometimes saying I open the door and then this woman that I think is really great does not want to walk through this door. I have so generously opened for her, you know, and so we're working to try to connect You know, why is it that you want to lead? What is a project that you could potentially do that will both help your department and connect you to that why piece, right? So that, um, so that it, it touches, touches your soul, right? So that it really is important, really is important to you as you're going forward with your work. And then, so why then would you want to step into that position? So we do a lot of work around that um and then the um the um we also have a collaboration piece where we're very mindful about peer coaching we have a wonderful um peer coach uh claire becker who does small group coaching uh to try to help women in a in a small group setting we have 20 in our cohort she does groups of like six um that uh, that can work through their um work through some sort of individual things as they're going along with uh, motivation and then we also have um our women's uh Our women's projects that we have them do. We call them the WIP, the WLLC individual project, uh, where folks are working to connect a project, uh, to connect a project with their, um, with their why. So, and as an example, um, we have, um, we have faculty and staff uh, that work within this. One of our staff, um, one of our staff members is connecting um, a uh, LGBT plus, awareness campaign, sort of awareness campaign to her department. And so she's bringing um, awareness of that uh, to her work in radiology. You know, so she is bringing, um, she's, she's, She is bringing forward patients. What do patients need in radiology? How does that, how could that potentially, um, how could the environment of radiology be better um, for those, uh, for folks who identify, uh, in that way? And, um, she's really been excited and her department's been very receptive and it's really been, um, going well, um, going well for her, uh, going well for her so far. Um, we also have, um, APP faculty with us. So we have most of our um, advanced practice providers at MCW are um, our staff. We have some that are faculty, and we have faculty that are working on projects around that. How can we support um, our advanced practice providers, especially the ones that are um, faculty? And so uh, working with um, surveys and other focus groups around advanced practice providers to help them really feel um, successful um, both as staff and faculty at MCW. So we're really excited about the uh, really excited about the projects and what is even better is that the people that are doing the projects are really excited about the projects. I you know said at the beginning I'm like if this project is busy work, we've failed. You know, we want this project to really be meaningful um, to you and your work. We will hear more about them at our um, at our end of year celebration um, in October. So we're we're really looking forward to seeing what um, what everyone has done.
0: Oh, Dr. Elenus, thank you so much for sharing this. As you were describing the building work into your why. I immediately thought of coaching because in coaching we talk about draining the bucket by asking a series of why, why, why to get down to your values and what motivates you. And then you went right into talking about Claire Becker leading small group coaching. So yeah. I think that's we're seeing more and more coaching embedded in programs. And so I, I love that you're doing that and helping explore and faculty members explore in small group, intimate, small communities of engagement the why. And that gets me to my question to you, Libby. I'm wondering, so, you know, when you and I both talk to early career faculty, I I shouldn't qualify early, maybe mid career any faculty members, when they have ideas, you know, like you described early on in your career, you know, you had this burning desire to understand why people think the way they think, or, you know, I had this desire to do a podcast. And how do we know, or how do you guide faculty to know that my why should, is important enough, or is, you know, make, I'm trying to say like, you know, don't make your urgent things, you know, my, my, my emergency, that kind of, that trite saying, where how do I, how do we, how do you engage with faculty to help them understand, no, your why is important, and it should be pursued. And yes, it does have a place in the institution. Or the flip side of that, maybe your why is misplaced and don't take it personally. It's not maybe the right time or right place or right financial space to, for the institution to adopt it. Do you, do you? I see you're nodding. So you're getting what I'm trying to get at is that when we talk to so many faculty members, and as you describe the program, it's not saying, all right, we have these 10 projects the institution wants to do. I need some volunteers to do projects one through 10. That's a top down is kind of like, uh, all right, certain things we have to do as good citizens. Rather, the bottom up ideas, the ones that, as you say, you like, make us want to get out of bed in the morning and, and keep us up late at night because it's just this burning desire. It may be our burning desire, but maybe leaders are like, well, that's kind of weird. I mean, nobody's wants to hear podcasts of faculty development people talk. Why would you want to do something like that? That's stupid. <laughs> so like, how how do you, how do you reconcile with your young women leaders about the why and making sure it's a good fit or when to know, like back off on your why or no full throttle ahead? What are your thoughts about that, Libby?
1: I think, I think you would advise, but right, you'd advise each person Differently. So it depends on what it is that they what it is that they want. And I think um, I think that you can you can hold your why without doing your
0: why at, you know, at least for a little while. Interesting. So let, me, let me pause you here for a minute. You can hold your why without doing your why. That I think is important. What you just said. That's genius. It may not be like it's kind of like the not now. I'm not saying right. not ever,
1: right? Just
0: maybe not now, or maybe like in a grant application, Libby. Right? It's like your why. It's so pie in the sky. Why? Let's kind of yeah. like trim right. that down. I know you want to be a woodpecker, and but maybe let's be a smaller woodpecker and like get 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 it narrowed down a little bit, and then you can really blow up your why later. Oh. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah. So you know, um, uh, I don't know if you've talked to um, Kamara Ellison. Oh, yeah. Right. Lots of times. We love Kamara. So Kamara will talk about the career lattice as opposed to the career path, and 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 she. Uh, so sometimes within your, your why you can take kind of a sidestep towards your, towards your why or a baby step towards your why and think about whether that seems to even continue to be the right direction for you. Is this where you want to go? So you can, um, you can think about you know, going about your why that way, and at some point, you know, being able to make a shift towards your why, leaving yourself open to possibilities that are tangential to your why, you know, that's something I'm sure you've had folks on the podcast talk about, you know, saying yes by saying no, and things like that, you know, if it's towards your why, that's something you definitely want to say yes to, right, Um, talk about, talk to others uh, that, seem to be doing things around your why so that you can learn how they got to where they are and whether um whether they had some obstacles towards putting this together uh, that could be helpful to you in terms of getting um, over those, and you know, eventually it could be that that they will need to make a shift in some direction, whether that is to a different institution, something thinking about the different department, leaving their clinical work all together so that they can go and do this. Why either within their institution, in a different institution, or something, uh, or something like that. So taking taking steps toward it. I rarely advise doing something kind of rash, right? So you know, while I'll say don't take no for an answer, you're also, you know, be sure not to like do something too quickly. Right. So you can sit with your why for a little while and see whether, see whether an opportunity will open up, take a couple breaths, see how that's going to see how that's going to go. Um and then go, then yeah. go
0: I love, I love that. That's really wise because, you know, I think there are times that probably all of us wake up or go on a walk or you're doing something and all of a sudden this idea, you're like, yeah, pops into your head, you write it down, you get all excited about it. And then you let it sit for a minute, just probably like any paper or any grant application or any project. And then you come back to it and you're like, well, maybe that's a little bit, I don't know what I was thinking that we get all caught up in the emotions of something. And, which can be good, like this cycle of contagion, and you talk to people and you have this vision and, and you build the whole thing up. And then when you start taking that pause, that moment of all right now, all right, how would we do this? You realize, okay, that's maybe too big of a bite. So if if upon consultation with my mentors and my closest allies and my my team and the literature, this I still feel strongly after a period of time of sitting on my why, you know, hanging out with my why that you do it methodically like we do any kind of science we do it very you know stepwise fashion and like you're saying the lattice work with kamara jog a little left jog a little right and then yeah that may be a point where you're like yeah i've come this far and that's maybe my as far as i'm meant to come on this somebody else may pick up the baton and go further um because now i'm i'm shifting somewhere else or we're going to put this little y to you know, this little woodpecker is going to take a little rest and we'll come back to him and maybe he's going to sit there and dormant for a while. And then yep. you circle on back to him X number of days, weeks, months, years later and yep. reactivate. So I think that's really wise to, to think about the why and the why.
1: Yes.
0: Super good. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the culture? I'd love to learn more. You said that you know, there's two parts to this, not only the Leadership Learning Collaborative and this this model, but then what is this culture you're trying to um create or reinforce the I will we will what is
2: that?
1: As I said, we have two um two arms, right of the things we do at awesome. One is the women's leadership um learning collaborative. and the other one is our I will initiatives, which are culture initiatives working towards building a culture where everyone can uh, everyone can thrive at MCW. Awesome believes right that there are enculturated gender norms right, that keep men, usually white men, in decision-making roles in academic medicine. And this limits the growth potential, especially in leadership opportunities uh, for women, faculty, staff, uh, and learners. And there are several components of that. One is an internalized bias that everyone comes to MCW with. Other things like the hierarchy of academic medicine, the kind of meritocracy of academic medicine and the way that it thinks, even including things like it's 24-7 on culture and the way it thinks about that. Um, And then um things like um uh, gender harassment within the within this space which is well documented in a lot of different things by you know from articles by Rashma Jagzi through the Double AMC's work on gender harassment so you've got all these pieces kind of coming together and the I will initiatives work on uh work on those and so um because Yeah, I think it's really important to illuminate the problem. We've done a lot of illuminating the problem. Solutions are really difficult. And Uh so we're trying to work on those through our I Will initiatives, which asks each person um, to make a pledge to work towards a better environment for everyone. So we have our I Will initiatives, um, our We Will initiatives, which work at the department level, and then our MCW Will initiatives, which work at our institutional level. So, and I can give you two examples um, from the I Will initiatives. And so, uh, one thing that I talked about uh, that we think is still a problem in academic medicine is this internalized bias that we um, that we come with. So, our I Will uh, program for this year is on broadening gender norms and how we think um, about gender within academic medicine. So, and as examples of things. Okay? Um, you can think about everything from things related to um, LGBT uh, plus work. So how we present as people in academic medicine and what that means in clinical medicine. So thinking about that through, um, I know that um, Jennifer Apps talked about mental load and how do the, how does that differ by gender? Right? It tends to fall, the mental load of a lot of things falls towards women. So we have a pledge around um, mental load. In between those two things or in between some of those things are things like non-promotable tasks. How do do women get assigned different sorts of tasks in academic medicine? And so um, I can give you an example there is uh, when I was a faculty member, um, we had uh, four different people that were working on the schedules for anesthesiology. Working on a schedule never gets on your CV, not ever. It is a non-promotable task. It is a huge like emotional drain. I can remember trying to cover Christmas on labor and delivery. <laughs> you know, and it um all four people were women, you know, that had taken, had taken this task. So enculturated gender norms are what we're working on, um, are what we're working on this year. Um it's our I will um 3.0, uh 3.0 pledge. Mm-hmm. Um, moving into next year, we're going to work on, uh, on the, uh, gender harassment and bullying piece. And so we're planning for that now. How can we move the lever on that? As you, um, as you are aware, I'm sure, you know, the, um, there's lots of documentation about, um, not necessarily sexual harassment, but more gender harassment, put downs because of gender, those sorts of kind of low level bottom of the iceberg kinds of stuff. Um, And we are going to, we're going to take a run at that for the, for I will, um, I will 4.0 coming next, coming next year to see what we can do to mitigate that um, at, uh, at MCW. So, we think about these cultural things and how can we work towards those um, to make a better environment for everyone.
0: So when you say pledges, are they literally pledges? So at the I will personal level, faculty, you encourage faculty members to make a pledge that says I will do something. Yep. Oh, and the same thing the department level we will do something and then the university we are a university that MCW
1: level. will yep and so for example um mcw mcw will um Maybe not the, the topic for the MCW will pledge right now is um, salary transparency. Um, so we are not a public institution. We're a private institution. Um, so public institutions have to publish their salaries, right? At least in part. Um, and so, um, with a private institution, we are working on ways to make our, uh, make our salary, um, uh, more salary, salaries themselves more transparent. MCW has done a lot of work on, um, uh, making salary equitable making salary um, transparent, however, is not something that we do um, terribly well. And so we are, we're working on that as part of our MCW will um, pledge for a couple of years now running. It's been, it's been a process <laughs> trying to work with, trying to work with that.
0: Wow. And and the, how you measure success now, is it something like the United Way thermometer where everyone there's this some kind of dashboard where you know if you're meeting targets and goals. Is there some celebration where, where there's a unifying not only the pledges but then a celebration of we did it and this is how we're going to make sure we monitor and keep doing it. Like, how, how, what is the vibe there, in terms that of? Like, is
1: a, yeah, yeah. You know, um, that is that that is a really good that's a really good question. So our um in our first um in our first campaign when we first worked with it we were looking for um to get um enough folks to meet uh early adopters, right? So our early adopters, as you're thinking about adopting a technology, and how can you think about getting like 10 or 12% of the faculty to adopt um to do- adopt a pledge. And we did have a kind of thermometer um, to uh to try to to try to achieve that. Um, it has been a bit more difficult um, to uh, have that kind of engagement as we're going forward. I think, again, folks are, you know, tired working with COVID, all of those sorts of things, which is why our Will 4.0 is kind of going to move towards working with departments. Mm-hmm. One of the things that's been really interesting uh, regarding the feedback that we've had about the campaigns is, well, you know, Myself working alone, making an I will pledge no matter what it is that I do, you know, I can't do it. I can't do it by myself. So um, to try to work with departments in the uh, moving towards more of a we will, uh, we will work. So um, we do um work on scales right in that social science work to see if people feel a bit more empowered. Um, we have engagement surveys that we look at to see if if um folks are feeling um more engaged or better around um around our environment. And then you know there's count data, you know, to see how many departments school engage um, in different, um, in different things. So we have a number of different sources that we, that we look at, um, that we look
0: at for that. Um, well, I, I can imagine this, this sounds so fun, Libby. I'm thinking of back again, olden days when, when centers or departments or divisions or floors in a building would compete on the like fitness things or how many, when those apps, those, oh, no, not the apps, the, um those step things. Yep. How many steps? Those, you know, they, people would wear those things. I forget what they're called. But when those first came out, oh, let's how many steps are you getting or how much water you're drinking or getting rid of the vending machine, candy bars. I mean, all those kind of initiatives where people compete. But it's a lot easier to say, I want to be healthy in in my um, department if everybody else is we because it's hard if I'm going to say I'm going to not eat candy bars if in my kitchenette in the hallway, it's chock full of junk food. So rather like, Hey, let's all do it together. Let's all go for a walk around the the park and we're competing against, you know, department XYZ. And so that does make Building community, there are secondary benefits of that. Of You know, that you you get to know people, you build the team, you feel like you're not alone. And that generates some excitement, enthusiasm and the celebration because we do so little, I think, celebrating in academic medicine. Everything is just so, especially on the heels of pandemic, so yeah. dark and, you know, stressed and pressurized. So I can envision the um, I will 4.0 and everybody rallying together on something honestly like with integrity like voting on something and um really getting everybody engaged and then having celebratory events that would kind of generate that and that enthusiasm and kind of make it circular i think it's super fun
1: yes and i think it is so it is so critical what i um see happening sometimes and i i i don't think it, this is just mcw is that you know, leadership wants things to be better. They want to do better. Leadership will promote something as a solution to a problem. And then you can promote the solution all you want. But if um, if folks don't want that as right. a solution, then they won't adopt that, no matter what it is or how much leadership support you have. So leadership support is really important. Because if you don't have leadership support, you're done. But You know, it's not enough. have leadership support. So going into the different departments is definitely part of what we're thinking about, because you need the department to say, yes, this is a problem. And yes, this is how we want to solve this problem. uh, Because then you can go and say, okay, well, we're going to have a cup of coffee conversation. You said you wanted it, you know, so here it is, you know, that, uh, because that's what, that's how you wanted to, you wanted to solve, right? So I think Um, I think that's so, I think that's so important. So you're getting exactly to it, right? That if you do it, if you do it together, as opposed to the solution um, suggested for you, or worse, imposed upon you, then, Mm -hmm. you know, you won't, you won't be as receptive, you won't be as receptive to it, and the problem won't change.
0: Right, right. You're you're making me think, Libya. also, I was just talking to somebody who, she was so frustrated, because despite her best intentions in the operating room of trying to come up with a better process of preparing for the certain procedure. She said, I can do anything I want and have the system. But when I come into the surgery the next day, I have to reinvent it because it's not systematized. It's not adopted by the culture there that my team knows that this is the way I want to work. But if I don't have someone the next day is not my same team member the checklist doesn't make sense. I'm reinventing the wheel and re-educating every time, and it's maddening. So that's the example of I think you know a corollary to that. It's yeah, it's one thing to have a personal desire, a personal why, but unless it can be connected to a bigger why, and then you can sell the why together, it's it it leads to that burnout. It leads to that frustration of like, are you kidding me? why do I bother trying to do this? It's impossible. I take one step forward and two steps back. I'm the woodpecker and it's not, but I'm not getting any traction here. I'm trying to peck into something like steel.
1: (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's, that's exactly, that's exactly the case. So how can you build consensus? How Mm. can you uh, either, if it's your why, how can you speak to something in a way that make sense to other people and doesn't just make sense to you show them why it's also their why right, right and then right. Um, and then then you can start to build something that uh, people are more receptive to I, as love
0: you're it. Saying, right, in yours. I love it and I love the how you've embedded the coaching in that because that really gets at the the micro personal level the group coaching level the, the pod of women in the leadership program and then the department like you're 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 really pulling that thread, the why thread, through all levels, person level, department level, school level, institution. That's how we do things. So, I mean, I like how you really have that theme through everything you do at MCW. Fantastic work.
1: Thank you very much. We, we try hard.
0: Yes, you do. You do. And you knock it out of the park. Every time I talk to someone from Wisconsin, this is the way this is the way to go. I got to get up back up there. When I lived in Chicago, I would go up there for the squeaky cheese. Is that still a thing? Squeaky cheese? I mean, everybody talked cheese about. Sque- like,
1: cheese what are you yeah.
0: yeah, it's true. Adam, I, Wisconsin has to- cheese that talks to you. I mean, it's it's so amazing. I love it. Well, Dr. Elizabeth Libby Alanis, you are delightful. I'm so happy to have met you and to learn all about how you have just been able to grow your idea from so long ago and turn this passion into an actual, you know, reality that you're changing culture and. Thank you for everything you're doing, and mostly thank you for telling and and sharing all that wisdom with us here on the Faculty Factory Podcast. I'll leave the parting words to you, Libby.
1: Thank you so very much for the opportunity. Um, We're always happy to share our work here and to learn from others, and so we appreciate your podcast because it helps us do exactly that. So thank you for having me today. All
0: right, folks, if you want to be in the podcast, please let us know. Drop a line and send us other people like Libby Ellenus. Wasn't she great? See you next time on the podcast.
2: Hello, everybody. It's your podcast producer, Casey Callanay, and I just want to let you know that as of October 1st, 2023, this podcast has had nearly 80,000 total downloads and YouTube views from listeners in 84 different countries. On the facultyfactory.org website... We've drawn nearly 40,000 web visits from users in 122 different countries. This is truly an international platform, and we'd love to invite you to be a guest on our show. Our host, Dr. Kimberly Skorupski, makes the experience very engaging, relaxing, and quite frankly, she makes it fun. As producer, I'll make the edits if you need it, so there's really no pressure on you and we can make edits to your interview on the back end if you'd like us to. We just wanna hear from different faculty around the world so we can all learn from each other. Please reach out if you'd like to be a guest or to nominate someone in our academic medicine community that you think would be a great guest for us to hear from. You can visit the Contact Us page on facultyfactory.org or you can contact Dr. Skorupski directly at kskorupski at jhmi.edu. Thanks for tuning in to Faculty Factory Podcast. The mission of the Faculty
0: Factory is to build and support a community of leaders in faculty development who share tools, resources, wisdom, and encouragement in service to our faculty members, schools, and institutions.